Hey friends, it is the sixth week of Lent, also known as Holy Week. We made it. Um, How'd you do on your Lent choices? Um, Whether you gave something up for Lent or maybe you actually did something for Lent, I think I only made one of my, what I'll call my Lenten resolutions. But what did I expect? You know, I mean, do you really expect to be able to get through them flawlessly? I I don't think there's ever been a year where I have been flawless. Um, We usually expect to make some sort of mistake along the way. I remember one year I did work really hard to give up um, cursing for Lent. And on Good Friday, I smashed my finger in between two racks at the grocery store I worked at and legit cursed like a sailor and thought, oh my gosh, it's Good Friday, like Christ is hanging on the cross and I am swearing like a sailor breaking all my Lenten resolutions. And so sometimes our expectations definitely let us down. Sometimes Life exceeds our expectations, and I think looking at what goes on during Holy Week has a lot to do with expectations then and now and looking forward. Like I said, this is Holy Week. It started on Sunday with Palm Sunday, and it goes through next Sunday, or this coming Sunday, I should say, which is Easter. And the events that are recorded sort of take us through what happens to Christ in the week leading up to his death and resurrection. And it's interesting because as we observe each of these special days and specific things that are to be remembered, I think our expectation of Easter is very, very different than what actually was happening that week. So let's go through sort of each of the events and kind of do like a comparison and talk a little bit about what do we expect out of Easter and what does Easter mean to us and and what are we expecting out of Easter? Lots of Bibles will give sort of a subtitle in the chapters of a specific book. So I'm in the Gospel of John, which is the scripture being used at the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Um, At least in some churches, it's part of a liturgical calendar. Apparently there's a couple, but this was a choice. And this is from the book of John. And in chapter 12, the subtitle for this book of John chapter 12 says the king comes to Jerusalem. 
So on the next day, this is verse tw- chapter 12, verse 12. On the next day, the large crowd that had come to the Passover festival heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took palm branches and went to meet him. They were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Jesus obtained a donkey and sat on it. As scripture says, don't be afraid, people of Zion. Your king is coming. He is riding on a donkey's colt. At first, Jesus's disciples didn't know what the prophecies meant. However, when Jesus was glorified, the disciples remembered that these prophecies had been written about him. The disciples remembered that they had taken part in fulfilling the prophecies. Interesting in this short few verses, the people treat Christ as though he's a king, and they call him the king of Israel. And there's even scripture that had prophesied, don't be afraid, people of Zion, your king is coming. He is riding on a donkey's colt. But the 12 men who had been spending time with Christ nearly three years, like didn't put two and two together, didn't really realize what that meant until after Christ raises again. And, and so the Holy Spirit has nudged people to realize that Christ is so important. And part of it was Christ had just risen Lazarus from the dead. And the people who had been with Jesus, when Jesus brought him back to, bought, blah, 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 brought Lazarus back to life, like they were all super excited, super like stoked that this had happened. Do people even say stoked anymore? But they were like psyched. And so they come out to see Jesus and are looking for more miracles. And the Pharisees are just now saying this is completely getting out of hand. But the interesting thing is, for the most part, kings typically didn't ride on donkeys. Um, They came in they would be on horses, something more magnificent. So the crowd is expecting Christ and acting as though he's king. But on the other hand, they're not looking at Palm Sunday like we do, where we expect that Christ, King of Kings, is riding on a donkey. So I think our eyes see the king with a capital K, I think the people of Israel are seeing Christ and they're looking at him more as a king with a small K. Anytime you celebrate a holiday, you typically have expectations based on previous experiences. So, for example, every 
Christmas or Easter, you might have expectations of going to church or having a specific meal or specific traditions that you might do. Well, this was definitely the same for the disciples because they were going to celebrate Passover this Holy Week, what we call Holy Week. They would be in their holiday or tradition called Passover, and they knew what to expect. There was certain food that they would be eating and a meal being prepared a specific way and things that were done within that Passover meal that was very traditional and they would know what to expect. What they didn't know what to expect is where and how and all the preparations that would take place. And Jesus gives them directions on what to do. And so he sends them um, ahead and everything Jesus has told them to expect and who to ask and all that kind of stuff happens. And they are led up to an upper room and they gather together and they begin Passover. And the first, one of the first things that happens um, in John chapter 13 is Peter washes, Peter, Jesus washes the disciples' feet. Before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go back to the Father. Jesus loved his own who were in the world, and he loved them to the end. While supper was taking place, the devil had already put the idea of betraying Jesus into the mind of Judas, son of Simon Iscariot. The Father had put everything in Jesus' control. Jesus knew that he also knew that he also knew that he had come from God and was going back to God. So he got up from the table, removed his outer clothes, took a towel and tied it around his waist. When he poured water into a basin, he began to wash the disciples' feet and dry them with the towel that he had tied around his waist. When Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter asked him, "Lord, are you going to wash my feet?" turning my page here, Jesus answered, Peter, you don't know now what I'm doing. You will understand later. Peter told Jesus, you will never wash my feet. Jesus replied to Peter, if I don't wash you, you don't belong to me. Simon Peter said to Jesus, Lord, don't wash only my feet, wash my hands and my head too. Jesus told Peter, People who have washed are completely clean. They need to have only their feet washed. All of you except for one are clean. Jesus knew who was going to betray him, and that's why he said, All of you except for one are clean. After Jesus had washed their feet and put on his outer clothes, he took his place at the table again. Then he asked his disciples, Do you understand what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, because that's what I am. So if I, your, if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you must wash each other's feet. I've given you an example that you should follow. I can guarantee these truths. Slaves are not superior to their owners. 
and messengers are not superior to the people who send them. If you understand all of this, you are blessed whenever you follow my example. I'm not talking about all of you. I know the people I've chosen to be apostles. However, I have made my choice so that the scriptures will come true. It says, the one who eats my bread has turned against me. I'm telling you now before it happens. Then, when it happens, you will believe that I am the one. I can guarantee this truth. Whoever accepts me and the one who sent me, accepts the one who sent me. And then it goes on to talk about Jesus knowing the one who will betray him. But let's talk for a minute about this washing of the feet. No way in the world did the disciples expect for Christ to do that. This was something that actually was common back in that day. We typically don't have to wash each other's feet when we come into the house. That's because we wear shoes that cover our feet and we don't typically walk through a lot of dirt roads and dirt everything. Like there wasn't paved sidewalks. There wasn't paved roads. There was pretty much dirt everything. So when these gentlemen were wearing sandals, they had dirty feet and they might have had clean rest of their bodies, but their feet were filthy. So typically a servant would do that kind of dirty work. And here is Jesus stooping down to be a servant when he is their teacher, he is their rabbi. And rabbis were definitely held in high regard. And you would would be the authority and you would show nothing but respect for the rabbi. And so for sure, there wasn't an expectation. And yet, somehow I think, as we read the account of Holy Week, we expect this out of Christ because we know who Christ is. Like we are looking at this story with all the spoiler alerts ahead. We know the end. We know what's going to happen. We know who Jesus is. So often when we see Jesus, we are just seeing our Savior because we don't know any differently. Thank you, Jesus, and thank you, God, for that. What a great, great thing to see Christ as your Savior. But for some, and certainly for the disciples, to not know who this is and to be experiencing this Holy Week for the first time, you do wonder like, oh my gosh, he's washing their feet. What is he doing that for? And so expectation, you certainly don't expect this person who we know as God to be washing the feet of the disciples. And I think there's that case where, boy, I wonder why he did that. And I, I wouldn't have expected a God to do that. And yet there is that expectation of this is Jesus. He, he just serves us all and he just comes to our level and even the level of a servant 
to serve us. I love that. I think that's an amazing revelation, along with the fact that he washed all the disciples' feet. He is talking about not all of them are clean because he knows that Judas is going to betray him, and yet he still washed Judas's feet. That's pretty powerful, too. So we are still in chapter 13, and I'm going to continue with verse 21, in which there will be a page turn for my terrible editing of this podcast. This, however, I am going to say I am reading from the Holy Bible translation called God's Word. God's Word is a little teeny bit like the message in terms of it's written in a little bit more common English. Um, It's told a little bit more story-like, so it reads a little bit easier maybe than NIV, Um, but still good translation. You're still getting the full story here, and we're going to start at John 13, chapter 20, or verse 21. After saying this, Jesus was deeply troubled. He declared, I guarantee this truth. Any one of you, that's not what it says. Try it again, Chris. Verse 21. After saying this, Jesus was deeply troubled. He declared, I can guarantee this truth. One of you is going to betray me. The disciples began looking at each other and wondering which one of them Jesus meant. One of the disciples whom Jesus loved was near him at the table. Simon Peter motioned to that disciple and said, Ask Jesus who he's talking about. Leaning close to Jesus, that disciple asked, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, He is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread after I've dipped it in the sauce. So Jesus dipped the bread and gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after G- Judas took, his, took the piece of bread, Satan entered him. So Jesus told him, hurry, do what you have to do. No one at the table knew why Jesus said this to him. Judas had the money bag, so some thought Jesus was telling him to buy what they needed for the festival or to give something to the poor. Judas took the piece of bread and immediately went outside. It was night. When Judas was gone, Jesus said, The Son of Man is now glorified, and because of him, God is glorified. If God is glorified because of the Son of Man, God will glorify the Son of Man because of himself, and he will glorify the Son of Man at once. So, I doubt that anybody expected the Passover meal, this holiday that they're used to celebrating, turning ugly fast. And let's be honest, have you ever had a Christmas where something went wrong, where the expectation was high, and then all of a sudden there is a family fight, or something happens that interrupts what normally would happen and where your expectation went from high to what is happening. And that is probably how the disciples felt. I think, again, 
when we go, th- when you are a Christian and you are following Holy Week, for you, or whenever this story has been revealed to you and you know who Christ is and you celebrate a risen Lord Jesus Christ, you're expecting this. You're waiting for this. You know that that during this meal, Christ calls out Judas, Judas leaves, and the meal continues. The whole events continue, and you know exactly what's going to happen. No way did the disciples expect this. When Judas is called out as the one who would betray Christ, this is all during the Passover meal. This is all during what we would call the Last Supper. And this is where Jesus institutes the first communion as we would know it. And so also during that meal, he is also going to call Peter out. Interestingly enough, John depicts the story a little bit different than some of the other Gospels. And you get a little bit more of a detailed account of sort of the Last Supper in other Gospels. John gives really amazing conversation in chapter 14 through chapter 17 of Christ speaking to the disciples during that time and giving instruction and 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 praying and some super awesome teaching of Christ in chapter 14 through chapter 18. But during the meal, and this is still in chapter 13, verses 33 through 38, Jesus said, Dear children, I will still be with you for a little while, and I'm telling you what I told the Jews. You will look for me, but you can't go where I'm going. I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. Everyone will know you are my disciples because of your love for each other. Jesus asked him, Lord, where Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you? Where are you going? Jesus answered him, You can't follow me now to the place where I am going. However, you will follow me later. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I'll give my life for you. Jesus replied, Will you give your life for me? I can guarantee this truth. No rooster will crow until you say three times that you do not know me. Peter, of course, we know, says no way he's never going to do that. But the truth is, Peter would. And Jesus is arrested. And I and I don't think, again, that was an expectation that the disciples had. And it's certainly something Peter doesn't expect. Peter doesn't. I'm having a little bit of technical difficulty and I cut myself off on that last section. And so sorry for the long pause and the strange cutoffs. I'm not recording in my usual spot. 
I am in a hotel room in Columbus, Ohio, and doing the podcast um, remotely this time. So next is John chapter 18, and it is when Jesus is arrested. So after Jesus finished his prayer, he went with his disciples to the other side of the Kidron Valley. They entered the garden that was there. Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place because Jesus and his disciples had often gathered there. So Judas took a troop of soldiers and the guards from the chief priests and Pharisees and went to the garden. They were carrying lanterns, torches, and weapons. Jesus knew everything that was going to happen to him. So he went to meet them and asked, who are you looking for? They answered him, Jesus from Nazareth. Jesus told them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with the crowd when Jesus told them, I am he. The crowd backed away and fell to the ground. Interestingly enough, John doesn't necessarily show that Judas had betrayed him with a kiss, but we do know that to be true um, because of other gospels. So Jesus asked them again, who are you looking for? They said, Jesus from Nazareth. Jesus replied, I told you that I am he. So if you are looking for me, let these other men go. In this way, what Jesus had said came true. I lost none of those you gave me. Simon Peter had a sword. He drew it and attacked the chief priest's servant and cut off the servant's right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Jesus told Peter, put your sword away. Shouldn't I drink the cup of suffering that my father has given me? Then the army officers and the Jewish Jewish guards arrested Jesus. They tied Jesus up and took him first to to Ananias, the father-in-law of Caiaphas, and Caiaphas, the chief priest that year, was the person who advised the Jews that it was better to have one man die for the people. Interesting enough in that whole thing is... First of all, now they've gone from their whole Passover meal being turned upside down to Judas betraying Jesus with a kiss and Jesus being super passive. And yet when he says, I am Jesus, like all the soldiers fall to the ground Um And then he has to say it again, like, who are you looking for? And they're like, we're looking for Jesus. And he says, it's me. Peter, of course, gets out his sword and is ready to fight. Um, And then things sort of start to get ugly and they're, you know, going to tie Jesus up and everybody runs away. And certainly nobody expected that. John's scripture continues chapter 18 with verse 15 that said, Simon Peter and another disciple followed Jesus. The other disciple was well known to the chief priest. So that disciple went with Jesus into the chief priest's courtyard. Peter, however, was standing outside the gate. The other disciple talked to the woman who was with the gatekeeper and brought Peter into the courtyard. The gatekeeper asked Peter, aren't you one of the man's disciples too? 
Peter answered, No, I am not. The servants and the guards were standing around a fire they had built and were warming themselves because it was cold. Peter was standing there too and warming himself with others. The scripture continues to say that Christ had was being questioned. And then again in John 18, verse 25, Simon Peter continued to stand and warm himself by the fire. Some men asked him, aren't you too one of his disciples? Peter denied it by saying, no, I am not. One of the chief priest's servants, a relative of a man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked him, didn't I see you with Jesus in the garden? Peter again denied it. And just then a rooster crowed. So Christ completely expected this and predicted it. And Peter didn't expect it. And even though Jesus said he was going to do it, he still was adamant about not going to do it. And yet he did. And I think as we read this scripture and read through it, I think we have a level of expectation because we know it. We know that Peter is going to deny him. So it doesn't really come as a surprise. We've heard it all our life. If you are well-versed or churched or whatever, or just typically you've heard that Peter had denied it, denied Christ. And so I think somehow it doesn't come as a surprise to us. I wonder though, if we're put in those same shoes and when we are in those moments where we should admit that Christ is our King and Christ is our Savior and somehow we fail to admit it, therefore denying him. I think sometimes we give Peter a bad rap for denying Christ, but how many times do we deny Christ or deny somebody else Christ by not telling them? Chapter 18 continues with Pilate questioning Jesus. And I think that's like pretty typical when you read through what happens in terms of Pilate's trying to get down to the details as to what has Christ done. And Jesus's response is pretty unexpected in terms of really not answering Pilate or answering him very vaguely. Um, like when Pilate asks, so you are the king. He says, you're correct in saying that I am, a, I am a king. I have, I have been born and have come into the world for this reason to testify to the truth. Everyone who belongs to the truth listens to me. And Pilate says, what is the truth? Pilate is almost appalled that Christ isn't on the defense. And he's frustrated because he knows that Jesus has broken no laws. 
he probably isn't aware that Jesus is completely sinless, but he certainly knows that he's an innocent man. And he says, you know, there's a custom that one person is freed for you at Passover. Do you want me to free the king of the Jews for you? And they scream out, no, give us Barabbas, who was a murderer um, and was guilty of um, like political revolution. And so they scream, give us Barabbas. Um, Pilate has Jesus taken away and he has him beat. And then the soldiers mock him. And they put a a, branch, a thorny branch and make a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They probably shove it on his head. And they put a purple cape on him and they completely make fun of Christ. Um, and so Pilate says, listen, here is Jesus and I can give you... Um, you know, I can give a man up and they, they're just screaming, crucify him, crucify him. And these are the same people that, that have been somewhat in awe of Christ. And yet this is evening. And this is probably also a group that is implanted with people that are purposely against Christ. And so, again, nobody is expecting that everybody's going to scream, crucify Christ. And I just, as I read this, I'm just thinking, what is wrong with these people? So, finally, Pilate gives up in Jesus is crucified. John's account of the crucifixion is a little bit different than the other gospels. He is, he speaks more to Christ on the cross and what Christ said and the things that were going on around them. And so what I, what is interesting is Christ's death, while expected in that time and place, because that is how they executed criminals, it's unexpected because first of all, he is being um, unjustly condemned to death. Second of all, his manner of death was much more severe. He had already been beaten to a pulp. Um, and so the fact that he survived all that he survived to to not die prior to being nailed to a cross is incredible but he also spends his last hours 
communicating to others. And in John chapter 19, John shares some of the last words of Christ and some things that has that have happened. Um, and as he says to John, um, he says to Mary, look, here's your son. And then he says to John, look, here's your mother. And from that time, she lived on with the disciple in his home. He also says that where Jesus said, I am thirsty. Um, and he says, it is finished. And he bows his head and dies. And so typically to make sure that men were dead, they would break their legs because when they're hanging on the cross, they would be able to sort of utilize their feet to push up so that they could catch a breath. Um, but if they break their legs, then there's no way that they could catch their breath. Therefore, for sure dying. But they didn't break Christ's legs. And instead, they pierce him in the side um, with a spear and interestingly enough, those things were predicted in scripture. So while the expectation was to break his legs, it doesn't happen. And the interesting thing is, if you knew scripture, then you would expect them not to. So I don't know that any of us could really have any kind of expectation about Christ on the cross. But for me, it has always been very difficult to fathom and to really understand the severity of it all. Like, I mean, certainly Christ came to die for us, but did it have to be so tragic? That feels really uncomfortable. And my goodness, like, how sick is that for me to even say Christ actually physically experienced it? And on top of that, he's experiencing the mental, emotional, all of that spiritual unrest and agony. Um, and you know how it is when you know that you have been guilty of a sin or you have been purposeful at being unkind or any kind of sin and the guilt and the shame that comes with it and the, the agony of experiencing it. Now multiply that times everybody's sin that had to have been just a burden so, so great for Christ and one that we couldn't even have an expectation. And I can't even imagine the disciples on that Friday. This is 
a Friday that they totally didn't expect. And for us in Holy Week, we call it Good Friday. And you think, does that sound good? I don't think so. But we know we can call it Good Friday because we know what happens three days later. But the disciples certainly did not. So we come to Good Friday and we sort of try to mentally put ourselves in the situation of being at the foot of the cross. But I don't know that we can even get there. I don't even know that we can even truly ponder that or even go into this Good Friday with the expectation of being able to fully understand as the disciples are in a totally different situation because they're wondering what in the world is happening. Like they have heard Jesus speak of these things, but to see the gruesomeness that came about it, my goodness, there's no way they expected that. John concludes chapter 19 with Jesus being buried. Joseph from Arimathea and Nicodemus, the rabbi that had visited Jesus in the night, took it upon themselves to bury Christ. Joseph asked for permission from Pilate, and I'm sure at this point Pilate was just like, the dude's dead, go ahead. And they took Christ and they put him in a tomb where nobody had been buried before, which was not really typical. Usually, sorry about the sneeze. Um, Typically, tombs were often like an entire family being buried there. This tomb was close to where Christ was crucified, and it was the... um, It was nearly Sabbath, so they needed to stop working early, so they needed to get this taken care of ASAP. So I guess really maybe expectation-wise is you would almost think the disciples would do it. You almost think that like maybe James, um, the brother of Christ, and the rest of his family would do it. But these two prominent men take care of Christ. I think there's all kinds of interesting parts of the Bible because there's certainly things that we just don't know. We don't know what happened to all the disciples. We don't know. We know that John is at the crucifixion, we know that Peter has denied Christ and is horrified by his behavior. We know that lots of the disciples ran away. Um, And we ultimately know that they ended up all together sort of in the same place based on the gospel of John. But there's so many questions and so many things. And I think when we are, I think that's why you never stop reading the Bible though is because as you continue to really read it and study it and particularly different versions of it and different, you know, the, the word has been transcribed. And 
I don't think it has changed. I think it's been transcribed pretty true to how it was originally written. But as people use a different word that has the same meaning, sometimes that gives a little bit of a different translation. And God's word is God's word. I just think as humans and as and there and the men who translated it gives up it that's where things get a little bit tricky and i think that as humans we have to be very careful in terms of understanding it and then claiming it to be absolutely one way or the other cuz only god is god and and for us we will have a lifetime in eternity to hear God talking about his word and his truth and, and exactly what it means and understanding it and learning from the one who created us all. Um, but I love continuing to read and trying to understand it, especially in light of how we celebrate it, how we celebrate Easter. You know, we go... We go to Good Friday church service. Some of us do, some of us don't. And if you do, you sort of spend time in that moment. And it's a pretty somber service. And you almost always leave completely in silence. And then you get outside of the sanctuary and you probably chit chat. And from that point on, you probably spend the rest of your weekend getting ready for Sunday and what you're going to do and how you're going to celebrate and Easter baskets and Easter eggs and all the things that we do to celebrate a risen Lord Jesus Christ. But are we really thinking about the sacrifice that Christ made because we are sinful? Because I sin and you sin and every human born sins, and Christ takes it all to the cross. So in chapter 20, John says, Early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary from Magdala went to the tomb. She saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb's entrance, so she ran to Simon Peter and the other disciple whom Jesus loved. She told them, they've removed the Lord from the tomb, and we don't know where they've put him. So Peter and the other single disciple, and the, I don't know where single came from. So Peter and the other disciple headed for the tomb. The two were running side by side, but the other disciple ran faster than Peter and came to the tomb first. He bent over and looked inside the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there but didn't go inside. Simon Peter arrived after him and went into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there. He also saw the cloth that had been on Jesus's head. It wasn't lying with the strips of linen, but was rolled up separately. Then the other disciple who arrived at the tomb first went inside. He saw and believed. They didn't know yet what the scripture meant when it said that Jesus had come back to life. So the disciples went back home. Mary, however, stood there and cried. 
and she looked at the tomb as she cried. She bent over and looked inside. She saw two angels in white clothes. They were sitting there where the body of Christ had been lying. One angel was where Jesus' head had been, and the other was where the feet had been. The angels asked her why she was crying. Mary told them, they have removed my Lord, and I don't know where they've put him. After she, after she said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. However, she didn't know that it was Jesus. Jesus asked asked her, why are you crying? Who are you looking for? Mary thought it was the gardener speaking to her. So she said to him, sir, if you carried him away, tell me where you have put them, him and I'll remove him. Jesus said to her, Mary. Mary turned around and she said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, this word means teacher. Jesus told her, don't hold on to me. I have not yet gone to the father, but go to my brothers and sisters and tell them I'm going to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Mary from Magdala went to the disciples and told them, I have seen the Lord. She also told him, she also told them what he had said to her. I love this so much on so many levels. I love the level of women going to the tomb with the expectation of taking care of Christ's body in a proper way. And the unexpected happening. I love that Mary ran right to the disciples. They are the chosen men of God that she looks for help and direction from and shares this news without even fully realizing what had happened. I love that she stays and mourns Christ and now is mourning that he, that the body is missing. And I love that even as Christ is in front of her in her grief, she's not realizing that it is him and he speaks her name. And then the expectation comes from the voice. And our expectations are always developed by what we know. Things in the past and, and what we've done before. And so in these new situations, you are creating an expectation just based on things that you think should be. But this voice draws on what she knows. And the truth of the voice, who is the truth. And then the real the realization that Christ is alive and that she would run and share that news with the disciples is so amazing. And so how do we, how do we go through Holy Week 
And where is our expectation? Is our expectation that Christ raises again? Of course it is. We know the truth. Like I have a t-shirt from um, my friend Brian Bear. Shout out to Brian and Shelly because they gave me a t-shirt one time that said, spoiler alert, the tomb is empty. Hilarious and awesome. And so I think of how we go into Easter, and I think we go into it pretty casually and pretty joyously because, yes, we've pondered these things throughout this Holy Week, and and we've maybe gone to a Monday, Thursday service, and we've gone to um, Good Friday somber service. But then we already have the joy of Jesus knowing that he is risen and risen indeed, as the Lutherans say it. And so, you know, I I don't know. I just want to really work hard to feel the joy that Mary feels when Christ calls her name. And so when we think about Easter and we think about Christ calling our name and having that moment of realization where our expectation has been exceeded, because sometimes we go into things with a high expectation and we are disappointed. And other times we go into something not really expecting anything because Christ was killed on the cross and Jesus is dead. And for him to raise again and be alive and then to ascend into heaven so that we will live forever and he ascends as a risen Lord Jesus living and not dying again. Amazing, right? That is the expectation that I have. And so it's kind of like this podcast, you know, I think for Susie, my number one fan and my sister who I love so much, I think she always comes in expecting Chrissy to do something fun and funny and interesting and helpful and she gets a good word out of it and so that's why she gets to be my number one fan Paul you keep coming back because we're friends and I think you like what I have to say Brian we share the same church family and love Jesus and Becca and um, Leah and Val and other friends, Maureen and Leslie and Trudy and Judy, we're all believers. So y'all listen. Those who listen for the first time or listen because I happen to mention I have a podcast or anybody that I don't know, you are chosen to listen. God knows who's supposed to listen. My cousin, Randy, I love you so much. And so that's exciting stuff. And so as we approach Easter, 
I want us all to go in with the expectation that Christ will call our name. 